Friends, uh, today we're continuing in our sermon series about what it means to be taking off the mask, what it means to be authentic people in the world today. So I'm going to invite you to listen along with me to Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28. Let's listen for the voice of the Spirit as it calls to us in our lives today. So Jesus is leaving Galilee. He's just had a very long exchange, a very tiring exchange with some Pharisees. And this is where we carry on. Leaving that place, Galilee, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very moment. If you will, please join your hearts and heads with mine as we offer ourselves in prayer. God, as we consider what it means to be your people, as we open our hearts into the fullness of your presence, we pray that you will interrupt our lives in ways that are meaningful, in ways that grab our attention. So often we know, God, that you are moving and you are active in our lives and in the world around us, and yet we miss it because we're distracted, because we're worried, because we're too busy doing other things. They might be good things, but they're not things that are preoccupied with you. We pray, God, that you will please give us an uninterrupted moment with you now that we might hear your truth. Even though we are imperfect, even though we don't always get it right, we know that your spirit is capable and willing and that it does continue to speak into the hearts of us and all of your people around the world. Help us to take courage and to go forward listening for you in the obvious ways and the quiet ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you think that Jesus isn't being the nicest version of himself in our scripture passage for this morning, then I've got news for you. You're right. Whenever someone is talking with me about Jesus and says something along the lines of, yeah, but Jesus was God, wasn't he? Meaning that because Jesus shares in God's nature, that somehow means that Jesus' humanity was less present or less significant or less shaping to his life. Whenever someone says something like that to me, I nearly always point them to this passage. Because this passage in scripture does not make any sense unless we understand and remember that Jesus was 100% human. In the Christian church, we believe that Jesus is without sin, which I also believe is true. And so as a result, we all too often skip over the facts of his humanity as they are reflected in scripture because we conflate sinfulness 
with the human state, which isn't necessarily right. After all, Jesus was totally human, bound by the needs and the limits of his humanity. Food and drink and friendship were all deeply important to him. That's how he got the reputation of being a glutton and a drunkard and a party animal. Just read the book of John. We know he has a sense of humor. Lest you forget that whole thing about the speck in your own eye or like the plank in your neighbor's eye. No preacher who tries to get that metaphor off in a serious tone is going to gain any sort of following that lasts for centuries, right? He had a sense of humor. Jesus grieved and cried when Lazarus died. Jesus got angry and drove out the businessmen from the temple. Jesus pleaded not to have to go to the cross. Jesus' humanity is all across scripture, but we very, very rarely give it the weight that it deserves. This, our passage for today, is one of the places where we can't deny his humanity. We're the only way to make sense of this odd exchange that he's having with, with this woman is to embrace the fact that he is 100% human just as much as he is 100% God. In our story for today, Jesus is trying to escape Galilee for a little while. He's trying to get a little R&R after this draining conversation and this sort of draining season with the Pharisees. And so he heads out toward Damascus, toward Tyre and Sidon. But Jesus and his disciples' pursuit of some peace and rest from these demands of their growing ministry is interrupted when this woman starts following them. Now, somehow, this woman, who is not Jewish, who has no connection with their homeland, she manages to hear that Jesus is taking a foreign tour. And so she joins their party from the far back of the group calling out to him and pleading with him as they go along that path. Now, this woman is described as a Canaanite woman in the book of Matthew, which is interesting because the Canaanites are no longer a people group by the time we get to first century Palestine. In the book of Mark that that has the same story, she's described as a Syrophoenician woman, which would have meant that she was a resident of Phoenicia in the region of Syria that was under Roman control. Now, none of that matters. Whether she was the descendant of Canaanite or Syrophoenician, her address isn't what they are trying to communicate in scripture right now. What Matthew is trying to point out is that this woman is not one of them. She's a different race, a Gentile race, and She was a Gentile from which the Jewish people had had a long-standing historical beef. Well, that's why they were referring to her as a Canaanite, to draw up this biblical image of how the Canaanites, the people of Canaan and the people of Israel have always fought over that same land. The point of this is that culturally, There is no possible way that Jesus can interact with this woman without appearing to become compromised. She's a woman, number one, and having interactions across the genders was a big no-no for rabbis in ancient Palestine. And number two, she's a foreigner from descendants of Israel's greatest enemy. So clearly, to anyone who's watching this scene happen, like those disciples, Jesus and this woman, they cannot be friends. They cannot have a relationship. They cannot even talk to one another. 
So that's one of the things that they're trying to point out and make clear in this story. Aside from that, aside from these cultural reasons why Jesus shouldn't talk to her, this woman is super annoying. Here they are, they're trying to get away for a bit. They're minding their own business as they go along the road. And this woman has been following them for miles, calling out, begging, relentless. Scripture says that Jesus is ignoring her, but it's the disciples who have had enough of her. And they ask Jesus to send her away before she ruins their whole retreat. This is what I do love about Jesus, though. You can tell that he's tired and irritable because Jesus answers them as he always answers them. When they ask for him to do the thing that they don't want to do, like remember when they, uh, the 5,000 were there or the 10,000 and they're like, Jesus, you need to feed all these people. And he's like, you feed all the people, right? He has this sort of like back and forth with them. He does the exact same thing here. Jesus answers them in that same way that he always answers when they won't do the thing that they need to do. Where he says, I've got my hands full dealing with all these sheep of Israel. You, you guys are making it so hard that I'm not going to deal with her. I have enough with you, right? So that gives this woman, this little bickering that's going on between Jesus and the disciples, that gives this woman just enough time to rush up to him and to get to her feet and then to beg saying, Master, help me. Here's how Eugene Peterson translates this next part. He says, Jesus replies to her begging, saying, it's not right to take bread out of children's mouths and throw it to dogs. But she was quick, and she said, Master, but beggar dogs do get scraps from the master's table. To which Jesus gave in, saying, Oh, woman, Your faith is something else. What you want is what you get. And right then, her daughter became well. I also just want to remind you, sometimes it can feel harsh when we hear women, when we hear Jesus address women as like, oh, woman. Um, That's also how he addresses his mom, right? It's one of the things that's not a uh, diminishment We don't know exactly how it was conveyed in ancient times, but there is some endearment there. So she goes from being the most annoying woman ever to then being addressed in the same way that he addressed his mother. Now, when we think about this scripture, right? And we think about it would be, it is not right to take bread out of children's mouths and throw it to the dogs. If you heard Jesus in that moment call this woman a dog, you are correct. That is what he did. And there are dozens of different ways that commentators have evaluated this statement over the years, with many of them, and many of them men, trying to explain how Jesus' derogatory statement to her was somehow not actually derogatory, or if it was derogatory, at least it was excusable. But in the last 20 years of scholarship, we've seen that really there is no getting around this. That right here, Jesus is flat out being rude. Dogs were unclean creatures in Jewish culture, which is why Jewish people would refer to the Gentiles as dogs at times. You see that elsewhere throughout the Gospels as well. In ancient times, as we can still find today in much of the developing world, 
Dogs were not considered to be these cute domestic pets. They were considered to be these wild scavengers that were loose on the streets. So calling someone a dog would be similar to like someone from New York calling someone a rat, right? Rats were like these scavengers, these sort of uh, pests, what pests, the... What, what are the things that suck your blood? What's the word I'm going for? Parasites. Yeah, yeah. There are these people that just like take and take. They're not good. You don't want to be around them. So that is what they're meaning when they refer to the Gentiles as dogs. So if Jesus doesn't mean this comment as a really sick burn to this woman, then what he did mean at least was to honor this cultural divide between the Jews and the Gentiles. What I'm trying to say is that this comment maintains the status quo between these ancient tribes, keeping them distant from one another and believing that one people group is more valuable than the other people group. But then as Eugene Peterson translates, and as Jesus will eventually admit, this woman is quick. Do you guys hear music? Is that just me? Yeah, no, Kay hears it too. It's coming out. You guys can't hear it, but I can. I'm also on decongestants at the moment. So like there was a real moment there where I thought, oh, I'm losing it. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's good. It's gone, right? You hear it? Okay. Yeah, they did. <laughs> Thank you, Andy Lower. Where was I? Okay. So as Eugene Peterson really points out, and as Jesus does admit, this woman is quick-witted. She picks up right faster than you would imagine anyone being able to come back to the Son of God, right? And so there's a commentator named Mitzi Smith, and she says this. She says, it appears that in antiquity, Greeks and other Gentiles had a more familiar relationship with household pets, particularly with dogs than did the average Jewish person. The ancient Greeks may have been more likely to have dogs as endeared household pets that they fed under the table than would have been the case in Jewish households. And so this cultural difference might explain this woman's response. Here's how she interprets it. Yes, you know, even the, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. The Canaanite woman's cultural context is different from Jesus' cultural context. And what she's saying is that they allow their pets to be fed while the children are being fed. One can feed the children and feed the pets too, is what she's saying. And so what Mitzi Smith is saying is that it's their cross-cultural interpretation of the same sentiment that brings about healing and peace for her, but also for the others that are there. Jesus responds, oh woman, your faith is something else. What you want is what you get. And there's something about that last line that I love because it's ambiguous. It sounds like Jesus is agreeing to heal her daughter, which he does. But it also sounds like it's just a statement of what's true about her character. Like he's just being observant, right? What she wants, she does get. No one's going to stop her from getting it because she is persistent as all get out. And this is what I loved Mitzi Smith saying. She said, perhaps faith engenders persistence 
or maybe persistence feeds faith. But either way, persistence and faith make a powerful pair. This past January, Andy and I went to India for 10 days. And while we were visiting in Delhi, we did some sightseeing, which included going to Human's tomb. Human's tomb is the architectural precedent for uh, the Taj Mahal. And so while we had been in India already during that time, we had seen the hundreds of dogs that were along the streets, rarely mistreated, but mostly ignored by the people. And no one really appeared to bother them or shoo them away, but nobody ever appeared to feed or engage them either. What was also funny is that the dogs ignored the people just as much as the people ignored the dogs. These dogs wandered around with all of us at Human's tomb, walking around the walls, scavenging, sometimes playing, sometimes lying in the shade of some trees, not showing any interest in all of the people there, not the locals, not the tourists. But just as we left, as we were walking out, we saw some activity happening in the corner. And there were all of these people laughing and crowding around, people of different ages. They were bending down and smiling. And as we got closer, we saw what they were smiling at. It was a litter of these bouncy, small, happy little puppies. And these puppies were running and tumbling and leaping. They were all paws and ears and tongues, and they were running up to the people who were petting them and giving them scraps of food and digging to see if they could find just a little bit more to give them. The puppies were running every which way, and then they'd run back to the people, and they would often go and check in with their mom, who was sitting underneath the shade of a tree, watching, but I think also grateful for the break. And then they would gallop back to the people for more, back and forth, back and forth. They were persistent. And there's something that's always struck me about this line that Jesus says to the woman, because the word that he used for dogs is actually the word for little dogs, for baby dogs, for puppies. One of the things that struck me about this scene at Human's tomb was that after watching this suspicious ambivalence that had existed between the street dogs and the people during our whole time there, the barrier between the two was broken by the innocence of those puppies by their persistence in returning over and over and over again to these people of all ages who couldn't help themselves but to meet that need that those tiny happy puppies were asking for. That persistent innocence was irresistible to the people who couldn't help themselves but responding with smiles and joy. And it wasn't something that that mama stopped that mom dog who was sitting there under the shade. Just before this story with Jesus and the woman, Jesus was arguing with the Pharisees about how it's not what's on the outside that defines us in making us acceptable or unacceptable. It's not what we eat or don't eat. It's not our station in life or our profession. It's not what we choose or don't choose to look like it's not our ability or disability that makes us acceptable or unacceptable. Jesus says, it's not what you swallow that pollutes your life, but what you vomit up, meaning that it's what comes out of us that reveals who we truly are. And what is coming out of this woman, her persistent and relentless innocence, 
her persistently vulnerable desperation was disarming to Jesus. Even in the moment where he was exhausted and tapped out by the demands of his ministry and his life and the cowardice of his friends, he could not turn her away. He could not turn her vulnerability away. Friends, in this season here at SMCC, we have been looking at how authenticity and vulnerability in our friendships and relationships has the power to transform our lives and to transform our lives and the lives of those around us for good. In particular, we have been looking at how Jesus has changed the lives of the people that he interacted with. How when Jesus saw behind the masks that people lived behind, either willingly or unwillingly, And in their vulnerability, accepted them, embraced them. It was then that they experienced freedom and fullness and joy. And my friends, that is what happened here in this story between Jesus and the Canaanite woman. Jesus saw this woman in her desperation and innocence, and she was freed from what was burdening her. But she wasn't the only one who experienced fullness of life from being honestly seen. Who else did? Jesus. Jesus did. She wouldn't be brushed off by the status quo that kept male rabbis from interacting with female foreigners. She wouldn't be thwarted by the annoyance of the disciples or by the exhaustion of Jesus. She knew who he was. She saw him. She wasn't going to let him shirk away from who she knew him to be. And that appears to have given him that same joy and wonder. Can't you see him laughing at the end? Oh my gosh, woman, what you want, you get. There's something about that, friends, right? There's something about that idea that by living in persistent innocence, by choosing not to hide our desperation or vulnerability behind the masks, but by chasing Jesus down to share them, we can bring a smile to God's face. If you will, please join me as we pray. God, it can be difficult for us to consider how we could take off our mask in a world that seems so hostile in a world that seems so burdened by busyness and annoyance and frustration. And yet, as we look in your scripture, we see that those who are courageous enough to be vulnerable with the things that they are most desperate for, the people who are persistent in their innocent and relentless approach, are the ones who break through that frustration of the world and bring in the light of joy. So God, may we be those people who by choosing to put down our masks and to show our true vulnerable selves, particularly in that moments where we're scared out of our wits, may we be those people who courageously break in that light of joy into the lives of those whom we love and the lives of those whom nobody loves. Amen.